Welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast, bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. It's part two of our AGM special as we hear from our Chief Financial Officer, Ahmed Farouk, and our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Vaudry. Now, the pair of them are going to talk about investment performance and the fluctuations of the stock markets. So it should be remembered that the value of investments can go down as well as up, which means you could get back less than you invested. And with that, let's hear from Ahmed. It was a significant year for the whole Wesleyan Group as we continued to lay strong foundations for our future growth. We made important strides forward with some key strategic initiatives, although we acknowledged there were some challenges, with plenty more work yet to be done. For our members, it has been an excellent 12 months with a number of measures to ensure they share in the society's success. These have included a 6.6% increase in the gross annual payout with profit investors, outperforming the UK equity markets, which in the main were negative in 2018. A £28 million additional payment to the With Profits Fund to boost investment returns, equating to a further 0.9%. And a £1.6 million financial contribution to provide member discounts on selected insurance policies. We have also maintained our position as one of the financially strongest financial services organisations. After the £28 million additional payment, our own funds at £651 million remain well above regulatory requirements, allowing us to maintain our high equity backing ratio in our investment portfolio. We maintain that over the long term, equities will continue to provide higher returns. Wesleyan increased its operating profit to £10.6 million, up from £8 million in 2017, although there was a fall in premium income. This was in part due to the delayed implementation of a new internal IT system, which meant both our life and pensions business and the Wesleyan Financial Services advice arm performed below anticipated levels. However, thanks to the hard work and dedication of teams across the business, steps were taken during the year that have put them both in a strong position for growth in 2019, where we will seek to increase new business levels and provide an improved service and experience for our customers. As for our subsidiary companies, Practice Plan and DPAS, the dental membership arms of the business, they both delivered targeted operating profits, while Wesleyan Bank grew the assets on its balance sheet by an impressive 29%. Our general insurance business, which provides a range of personal and commercial products and services, also enjoyed a strong year, as it continued its focus on commercial insurance products in particular. For example, demand for our professional indemnity insurance product was at its highest level to date as legal professionals took advantage of our specialist insight into their profession. In what was a difficult and volatile 12 months for the stock market generally, I'm pleased to report Wesleyan's investment team had another sterling year, yet again delivering competitive returns, particularly for our With Profits investors. The team's work was recognised in early 2019 when Robert Vaudry was named Chief Investment Officer of the Year at the Insurance Asset Risk Awards. And for the second year running, our flagship With Profits Fund was independently rated number one for returns amongst other With Profit Funds. Other highlights for the year include 
97% of personal income protection claims were paid out. This compares to an industry average of 87%. Our net promoter score, representing how likely customers are to recommend us as an organisation, was at plus 46, well above the insurance sector average of plus 13. 2019 will be a pivotal year for us as we begin work on the next phase of our strategy. As a specialist partner to you, our trusted professions, we want to ensure we can provide a full range of products and services to meet both your personal and professional needs across a range of channels so you can engage with us however and whenever you want. We are, as ever, proud that you are trusting us with your finances and hope to continue repaying that faith for many more years to come. Thank you, Ahmed. Next up is Chief Investment Officer Robert Vaudry, who is recorded live at the AGM. It's worth stressing that what he talks about are his opinions only, and the podcast generally is for information purposes only. So, if you are looking to make investments, it's best to talk to an advisor who can guide you through all the options and answer any questions you may have before making a final decision. So, let's hear what Robert had to say. You are probably expect me to talk a little bit about Brexit today, and I believe me, I won't disappoint you. <laughs> what I want to start off with is actually talking about things that do matter more when you're looking at global investing. It's not all about Brexit and it's not all about the UK. The obvious place to start is to talk about what's going on in the US. So when you think about the US, and the US, believe me, over my 30 years of investing, what happens in the US is gonna drive what happens in UK markets or other markets around the world. If you think about the US, you have no option today to think about what Donald Trump is doing. Donald Trump's instruction to the West Wing is that he has to rank number one on Twitter every day. And almost without exception, he's achieved that since he's become president. The second thing he is now focused on is getting re-elected in November 2020. So what he cares about, and he borrows the phrase from Bill Clinton, is it's all about the economy stupid. A very effective phrase for Bill Clinton that actually subliminally is now impacting how Donald Trump is managing the US economy. So what we've seen him do of late, last year he cut taxes, which was a big boost to the circulation of money. This year, well it was last year and this year, he's battered the Fed no end. So you've gone from having a Fed that was indicating it would raise interest rates during the course of this year, to one that now is saying that neutral is good, and if anything it may actually cut rates in due course. That is a massive change of policy. and probably came about in a way that was never anticipated that a president would put pressure on an individual who runs the Fed who can't respond. He can't go on Twitter and, you know, criticise the president. So, you know, no human being, I think, can put up with that pressure. He has primed pump the economy by increasing borrowing to levels we've never seen before. And he's also spending an awful lot of money on infrastructure in the US. Now, some of that is valid spending, particularly after the hurricane season last year, investing in the southern states, in Texas and Florida. But some of it we saw yesterday is actually to begin also to subsidize the farmers who are being hit by the uh, potential of a trade deal or breakdown in trade between the US and China. So there's all sorts of money going in, as well as some of you would have heard of QE, quantitative easing. It was all meant to be tightened up this year. And now everyone's sort of saying, oh, we've done a little bit, we'll stop doing that now. The bottom line is, the US is going through, and it will do, I think, almost up to the next election, a sort of a boom period. Everything that you can do to throw to improve the, the outlook of that economy 
Donald Trump is doing. And there's no one saying, actually, do you really want an economy to be prime pumped as much as you're doing that economy? And what I suspect we're heading for is at some point, and of course the million dollar, billion dollar question is knowing when that point is, is when do we all get to the edge of the cliff and begin to fall over? I think there are two key risks we've got to look out for, or three probably. Four, in fact, when I think about it. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll set on four. One is, one is his political capital, and does he get impeached? And I think it's unlikely, because the Senate has to vote it through with a two-thirds majority, and that will probably never happen. But it could damage him. Secondly is consumer confidence. So long as the consumer's spending, the economy will sort of ride the curve with it. Three is inflation. We're in a period where we have full employment in the US. The numbers just came out a minute ago. And new, new claims are down again. It's a remarkable period in developed economies that we've got full employment pretty much around the world. But what we haven't got is inflation that comes with it, the Phillips curve, it's usually called. And that's not kicking in. And he's riding that curve. Um, and the fourth will be um, uh, the trade wars. So is he going to have a trade war? Now, we've seen recently that He's basically done a deal with Mexico and Canada, and it hasn't changed much, despite him saying it's the best deal ever from the previous deal that existed. He's now pulled back from having an immediate trade war with Europe, which is good, but he's in the middle of this battle with China, so he's taking on China. And I think a miscalculation he's made is thinking he has the upper hand. 30 years ago, when all these trade deals were done, China was an emerging economy that everyone was doing a favor and creating an environment to allow it to trade. It's now the second biggest economy in the world. It is a phenomenal power. And President Xi, unlike Donald Trump, hasn't got an election. He's declared at the last Congress they had over in China and Beijing that he was now president for life. In that situation, um, Xi doesn't have to worry about what the public think of him. And it's very interesting, I'm actually going to be in China next week because I want to go and see Huawei. You're probably familiar with this tech company and 5G. I wonder whether this is not really a battle about, you know, the big trade deal, but it's almost sort of a battle of minds now between China and America. And I'll be at that inflection point where Huawei, rather than be a copier of technology, which is the criticism of, of Chinese stocks, is actually now maybe ahead of a number of American counterparts. And it's really America trying to stop Chinese development. So I'm going to spend a day with Huawei. I'm leading up to Beijing because I'm very keen to see what's really happening with these trade negotiations. And it happens that a very good friend of mine is our trade negotiator. So he's the guy under Liam Fox who's going to negotiate our trade with Beijing. All I can say is at the moment he's putting on so much weight because he's not actually doing any deals. He's just having breakfast, lunches and dinners. <laughs> and I have to say, deep down, I think he's going to tell me he has no an anticipation of ever doing a deal. But at least he knows the inside gossip. He knows what the Americans are doing. So it's important. I first went to China, I've been a China file since 1991. And when I went there, um, I was part of a delegation that went to uh, Shanghai at the time, and we saw the mayor, Dai Zhu Wangji, who later became the president. And in a room probably this size, he had a model of how Shanghai was going to develop over the next 25 years. This was at the same time as Canary Wharf was starting out. And it was amazing. So I, I then lived over in Asia for a while. Every time I went back to Shanghai, it was like deja vu. I thought, oh, I remember that building. That was in his model, or that bridge. Couldn't really tell the tunnels. But they had a 25-year plan. They don't worry about planning permission. They don't worry about regulation. <coughs> so when they have a plan, they can actually stick to it. 
And when you have over a billion people, sometimes you kind of need that ability to get things done. And I think China is now on that cusp of actually getting things done and perhaps you know, giving America as good as it's, uh, it's trying to give them. Which leads me into the third key issue, which is Brexit. So last year, UK markets underperformed because a trillion dollars was taken out of UK equity markets because of uncertainty in the markets, uh, because of the weakness in sterling, uh, because of general uncertainty. It's a mess, and it's been a mess for ages. We have a view this year, sometimes I go home at night and don't know if I really believe it anymore, but we have a view this year that a deal will get done, that Theresa May, or maybe after tomorrow, her successor, if it's announced, is gonna get a deal through Parliament that turns around this whole era of uncertainty. And what we'll see is businesses suddenly, all sitting on their hands, money under the beds equivalent, putting money back into the market. We'll see money that's been taken out coming back into the market. We will see sterling rally, and I, I suspect it will go back to about 140 against the dollar, as opposed to the 126, 127 it is at the moment. And some of you will know for the FTSE 100, for the largest companies, that's not great, because obviously 70% of their earnings are from overseas. But the sheer relief rally, the fact that we suddenly get rid of all that uncertainty in the market, will override all that, and it will be good for the UK. Which probably brings me to where we are today. Now, just before I say that, I just want to point out, I've got here a guide to investing. Some of you internally would have seen this. Many members may not have seen it. If you haven't, either email me or find someone who can give you a copy of this. We're really proud of this document. It was a team here across a number of departments that pulled it together. It's a really good guide to investing, I would say that. And it's got all the details about how we invest, that we're long-term, that we're buy and hold, we're counter-cyclical, all those good points. But within that framework, where we've concluded we want to be in 2019 is we want to be heavily overweight equity. So all our funds have a range of um, asset classes we can be in. Equities, bonds, cash, property. This year, we think the one that will do well, above all else, is equities. Last year, we, it was equities and property. And actually, it looked great until December when equities struggled. But by then, we'd begun to go quite defensive in equities anyway. So although they came off, we were fairly protected because we weren't in growth stocks, we were in quite boring defensive stocks. It didn't come off as much as the market might have done. This year we've taken a view that because we think a Brexit deal will get done, because we think the US and China will do a deal, not because Trump's going to force China to do it, but because Trump's desperate to do a deal ahead of the election. With all those things in place, equities will do well. So um, we are overweight equity, we're probably as well placed, I think, as a team, as we've ever felt in terms of our positioning. And uh, it's been a great first quarter. We've done markets of equity markets in particular, have done very well, and we're very happy with where we are, and long may it continue. And that is our show for this week. Thanks to Ahmed and Robert for their insight. If you want to find out more about Wesleyan and its performance, including its full report and accounts, go to wesleyan.co.uk and you can find our Year in Review site under the About Us section at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Twitter, Matt Wesleyan, on Instagram, at Wesleyan underscore UK, and search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. We'll be back again soon, so until then, thanks for listening. (music) 